0: All right, welcome everyone to church, come on church, it's a great day for some church church, it's my uh, nod to the Aussies today, man, We, we, we serve a house that is truly blessed in every way, we have an awesome house. And uh, yeah, I don't think we fully realize just how good we have it here and how blessed we are until guest speakers come through like Alan Hood and they insist you guys have an awesome house. This is an awesome ministry. And Pastor Benjamin is walking up the stairs to teach at our leadership meeting. And he says, just walking up the stairs, I could sense how awesome this house is. And he, he just looked at me in the back of the room that day, and he was last Saturday, and he was like, this is an awesome house. And I was like, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. And he's like, no, this is an awesome house. And I, I, I really think that God sends people now and then just to remind us, just to show us a revelation of how awesome of a work he's doing here in the city of Seoul and in Busan. Hallelujah. We have an awesome house. Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now? Tell him, man, we have an awesome house. house. All right, let's turn to Genesis chapter 15. We'll get into the word today. Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to be preaching out of my inheritance. Inheritance. Every time I spend time with Pastor Sonny and Benjamin, just revelation just just pours out. Pastor Daniel gives it to them, and then they just pour it out onto us. Let's look at Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 16. This is where God makes his covenant with Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I'm reading for the ESV. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Let's kill that AC. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to count them, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And God counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half. It's nasty. <laughs> and he laid each half over against the other. I'm thinking, how did he do this with just primitive like knives? I mean he didn't get he didn't have a cut set, you know what I'm saying? Anyway. Um, Abram's a butcher. He just butchered all these animals, laid them over against each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey, these vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. As you as for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Amen. In this passage, we have God making his covenant with Abram. At this time, he's called Abram. Later on, he's called Abraham. You guys know it's the same person, right? And when God makes this covenant, he says, I make the covenant and I fulfill the covenant. I fulfill all the promises of the covenant. I'm the one who makes it, not the other way around. And so God had Abram cut all these animals, right? To establish this covenant. I mean, praise the Lord that we don't have to like cut up animals these days in order to establish a covenant, you know? Imagine if God said to you today, you know, if you want to make this ten year covenant, covenant commitment, you are to bring two pigeons, you gotta go catch them too. And a kanaji, and a little doggy, a puppy. Right? That's nasty. Well, it's the same thing as killing a little lamb, right? And praise the Lord, we don't have to cut, cut up animals to establish covenants today. <laughs> when Jesus shed his blood, Jesus said, it is finished. <laughs> so No more of the animal stuff. Now, it's very important here that we emphasize that it is God who makes the covenant and not Abram. God himself walks through the sacrifice. Now, the animals were cut in half, and we've already looked at this. And usually when you make a commitment or covenant with someone else, you walk through the animals that are cut up in order to kind of like seal the covenant. But here, God makes Abram go into a deep sleep. And the Bible says God himself, he passed through these animals. Right, It's in verse 17. I didn't read it yet. Verse 17 to 21. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates. So God doesn't have Abraham walk through the pieces. He just makes it absolutely clear. I'm making the covenant. I made the promises and I'm going to fulfill it. And praise the Lord, the Bible says that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, it's nice to think that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. But if we really read the Genesis account, we know that it was not a once for all decision of faith. It was not a once for all position that Abraham walked in. Because Abraham had these moments of impatience unbelief and it caused him to go outside the covenant for a moment and so let's read that account all right um uh, go to chapter 16 the very next chapter now sarah abram's wife had borne him no children she had a female egyptian servant whose name was hagar and Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Okay, now that's where Abraham went wrong. Why? Because Sarah didn't make the covenant. The voice of Sarah didn't say, I will fulfill all these promises that I've made to you. She didn't even make any promises. God is the one who made the promises. God is the one who made the covenant. So it is the voice of God that Abraham should have heeded. But here, he listens to his wife. I'm not saying that husbands, you shouldn't listen to your wives. I'm just saying that when God has made a specific promise and covenant, you need to continue to heed his voice for how it's going to be fulfilled. So verse... 3. After Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai, Abraham, after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked upon me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, I don't know why Sarah is getting all upset. <laughs> it was her idea. And now they have a child through the servant Hagar. And she's getting all be and she's getting all upset about it. Getting all insecure. Jealous, right? I mean, it was her idea. I would have been like, woman, it's your idea. I don't want to do this. <laughs> but anyway, no, 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 that's not what I would say. Uh, what a loving husband would say, right? Um, Abraham said, verse 6, Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in, in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And if you guys read the rest of the uh, chapter, you guys know that Hagar goes on to give birth to a child named Ishmael. Now, Ishmael was not God's perfect will for Abraham and Sarah. Ishmael was the result of Abraham having these mo- this momentary lapse of unbelief, this momentary lapse of pay- impatience, where Abraham didn't believe the- and stay and walk under the covenant. Abraham took a moment to almost negotiate with God the terms of the covenant when he didn't make the terms himself. So, where God said, I promise you that your descendants will outnumber, uh, be like the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And at that moment, the Bible says Abraham believed her. And it was credited to him as righteousness. But later on, when it took longer than what Abraham and Sarah thought, they started in their patience to start to negotiate with God. And say, God, I know you made this promise. And I know you made this, the terms of this covenant. But let me help you out a little bit. Because you seem to be having a little trouble Fulfilling your promise. So let me help you out. Can I? And, and they started to negotiate with God and said, hey, you're not giving us a child anytime soon. Why don't we just do this with our servant here? Why don't you bless the descendant of that, of that servant? And God didn't say, hey, what a great idea. No, God, God, you know, the thing about God is, right? I mean, Ishmael ends up causing all this trouble for them later on. But the thing with God is God's very gracious still. God's gracious with Abraham and Sarah, and God's gracious with Hagar and Ishmael. God didn't have to be gracious with them, but God says out of uh, Ishmael will come 12 princes. what an amazing blessing and promise. What a gracious thing for God to do. But still, let's deal with the original issue. It was not God's perfect will for Sarah and Abraham to go that route. My message today is very simple. Stop negotiating with God. Abraham was a man of covenant. There were promises of God that were made to him that were guaranteed. All Abraham had to do was believe and wait for God to fulfill it God's way. Abraham was a man of the covenant. And what I'm here to tell you today is you are a people of covenant. The Bible actually says you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to promise. The covenant God made with Abraham, that covenant, that blessing, those promises, they still apply to us today. Through Christ, who Paul says in Galatians is the seed singular of Abraham. But in Christ, we become the seed of Abraham. You guys got that, right? The offspring. Some of the translations will translate seed. It's actually the Greek sper- spermatos. Sper- spermatikos. Or is it sperm? It's a similar word for sperm. The seed of Abraham. Now, we have uh, another example of a person that negotiated with God. Let's fast forward to Genesis 28. Genesis 28. Verses 10 to 22. Actually, before you do that, I want to look at God's promise to Rebekah. Uh, look at Genesis 25 first. You got to remember, it's in the context of this promise. Look at verse 21. Let's read from Genesis 25 verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Somebody say predestination, by the way. Um, When her days... Yeah, it's quoted in Romans chapter 8. So, oh dear that. All right. Go study your Bible. Okay. <laughs> Verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore. When she bore. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca bore them. Now, Rebecca is fully aware That the blessing goes to Jacob. God prophesied it over her. I'm I'm predestinating Jacob over Esau. Even though Esau is going to be the one that's born first. Rebecca, listen to me. Whether you try to have them get along as much as you like or not. There are going to be two nations divided against each other out of these twins. And the younger, the older will serve the younger. Rebecca knew that. And Rebecca was also, mind you, aware of the promises God had made to Abraham. Okay? So you have to understand the context in which all these things took place. There were all these promises that were continually told to their children, right? Now, what does Rebecca do in response? Instead of believing God at his word and walking in terms of the covenant that God had made with them, the promises God made with them, Rebecca pretty much tried to help God fulfill what God said he would do. Anytime you try to help God fulfill what God said he'd do, you're negotiating with him. You're trying to help him out when God didn't ask for your help. You're trying to fulfill it your way and your timing when God says, there's a wisdom in mine. So what happens? Right. This opportunity arises. And Rebecca, Rebecca's like, this is the righteous thing to do, because I know all about this prophecy that God has made over you. And you're my favorite anyway, Jacob. right?" And uh, and then so she gets Jacob in, in this big trickery and tricks the father into blessing. Jacob. Now, we look back in hindsight and say, oh, this must have been God's perfect will for them. Rebecca must have prophetically discerned that this is what must take place in order for Jacob to be blessed. In order for Jacob's the promise made to Jacob to be fulfilled. But well, you have to understand, man, there's a lot of flesh and foolishness going on here. What ends up happening is, man, Esau, man, he's the firstborn. He's supposed to get the blessing. When he finds out what his brother has done, and, and even Jacob, instead of believing God and waiting on God to fulfill the promises that God made, he also tried to help God out. What did he do, right? He, he got Esau to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. All right, where was I? All right. So we always look back on this story and we think that Jacob did the righteous thing. But I think we need to kind of see the revelation that there is a lot of helping God out here that God never really wanted. It was not willed by God. One thing that Pastor Benjamin shared with me that kind of really blew me away. uh, Look at Genesis chapter 28. Let's read about this famous account where Jacob has a dream. Of a ladder ascending into heaven. Look at Genesis 28 verses 10. 10 to 22. Alright. Jacob. He gets into this big. Argument with Esau. Esau like I'm going to kill you. I can't believe you took my birthright. You took my blessing. All right. And so. Uh, Isaac says to Jacob. Why don't you go. I don't want you to marry a Canaanite woman. Just like your brother Esau has done. I want you to go back to the house of your mother, Rebecca, to the house of Laban and find a wife from from there. So he sends them away. As, as Pastor Benjamin pointed out last week, Isaac, when he went to get a wife, Abraham took all of the blessings and poured it out on Isaac and sent Isaac's servant. He didn't even send Isaac. He sent a servant to get the wife with all of these gifts. And Isaac couldn't do the same thing for his son. You know, it's kind of sad. But, you know, you're thinking Isaac, maybe he feels a little manipulated. You know, he does remember how he was treated. Instead, maybe he's just like feeling like, you know what, Jacob, you're on your own. You, know, you, you tricked me. I can't believe you did that to me. you go figure it out on your own. He sends him away. He blesses him, though. He sends him away. But he sends him with nothing. So what ends up happening is Jacob, he sleeps in the middle of this desert on a rock. And he's got nothing. And so he's starting to think, what do I do? How is God's promises for me going to be fulfilled now? So he's at this place of skepticism, doubt, and God visits him with this dream. Let's read the dream here. Verse 12. He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. On the land on which you lie, I will give it. I will give to you and to your offspring your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth you shall spread abroad to the west to the east to the north and to the south and in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It sounds very similar to what his grandfather Abraham used to hear all the time. Behold I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God is once again saying I've made the promise. I've made the covenant and I will fulfill it. Just believe me. Just as your grandfather Abraham believed me and your father Isaac believed me, you got to believe me, Jacob. You're the chosen one. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Now read with me. This is the key section right here. Verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, set it up for a pillar, poured oil on top of it. He called called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow. Check out the vow that he makes. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Okay? Now, one thing you got to understand about the ancient Near East is the tenth, the tithe, was a common thing that you do with priests and, and gods in order to make covenant with those gods. So it's it's pretty much Jacob's way of saying, I will be in covenant with you, God. If you, if you will do all these things. Now, we look at that and we often glance over it. And we think, what a golly thing for Jacob to say. He's starting to get it. But if you really look at what he said, he didn't get nothing. He's still stuck in this negotiating with God mindset. What did God say to him? God didn't say, hey, man, check this out. I might do these things for you because, you know, you're cute. And uh I know you've been having it hard and your, your father, he... Gipped you, man. He should have sent you away with some gifts or something like that. I, Abraham did it for him. He oh, couldn't do the return favor for you. Look, I know you have it hard, so let me, let me, I might help you out. Now, God said, I will surely do it. Your offspring will be, will, through you, all the nations, through your offspring, all the nations, all the families on the earth shall be blessed. God makes this magnificent promise. He confirms what he has already said and Jacob responds with a negotiation. Have you ever negotiated with God? Where God says, check this out. I'm going to do this for you because of the call that I have for your life. And I will surely do it. I'll give you signs that I'm doing it. I'll remind you that I'm doing it. All you got to do is believe. Let me tell you a little story. In the year 2000, I was a junior at NYU, and I was being mentored by Brother Michael, a pastor, Italian-American pastor, uh, who was very spirit-filled, very Pentecostal. He's a Hispanic Pentecostal, right? So I got some Hispanic Pentecostal blood in me, you know what I'm saying? Um, now you ever go to a Hispanic Pentecostal church, it's on a different level. And uh, he he mentored me for quite a bit, and... He got a prophetic word, and he asked me, Christian, have you been baptized? And I said, yeah, I think I was baptized as a little baby, you know, typical Presbyterian baby baptism. He said, well, have you, have you been baptized as an adult? And I'm like, no, not really. You know, I received Christ when I was in fourth grade, but I didn't really get baptized. He said, no, the Lord's putting it on my heart to tell you, you need to get baptized. Because God wants you to obey his commands because of the things that he's about to do in your life. So I'm like, all right, just out of simple obedience, I'll get baptized. And so in the process of getting baptized, at that time, both of us were under a Korean church. Sound familiar? It was this other Pastor Hwang, actually. <laughs> the current pastor uh, is Pastor Hwang. He just retired, but he's, he's the head guy here. Anyway, there's another head, uh, head Pastor Hwang in New York. And when we brought the baptism idea to him, he said no. And then when we insisted, he was like, no, 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 I'll just do it. I'll sprinkle you on a Sunday service. You just come up front and I'll, I'm going to do the sprinkling. And I just said, no, I'm not. I'm not. I, I, I like dishonored him. I was like, no, I don't want that. That's not what I want. I want brother Michael to dunk me in a pool and I want to get drenched. I want to obey the Lord in this way. This is the voice of the Lord. Pastor Juan. how dare you oppose the voice of the Lord? That's my attitude. And brother Michael said, no. No, brother Christian, that's not, that's not good. Just wait upon the Lord. He's the one who spoke this. He'll set everything up for your baptism. But let me tell you something right now, man. I was like ready to make phone calls. I was about to call my friend who was the PK of Pastor Huang and try to like pull strings or whatever and just be like, hey, man, tell your dad to let me go so I can go and get baptized. Because you know what? That's what I naturally I noticed I do. I try to help God fulfill his promises. That's been my pattern. I'm a restless guy. I'm a wild stallion. Let me tell you something right now. And so anyway, fortunately for me, I decided to submit to Brother Michael's uh, advice and I waited. And surely enough, two weeks later, Pastor Huang says, you know what? Why don't Brother Michael just baptize you? Remember that baptism thing you asked me about? You you, you guys just set it up. I'm kind of busy these days. You guys set it up. So Brother Michael was like, hallelujah. You see that, Brother Christian? God's setting all things up for you. So we set up this baptism at a Baptist church in Fortney, New Jersey that I had never been to. But at the front of their sanctuary, they had this baptism pool. Real nice. And so that day, Brother Michael dunked me into the water, brought me out, and then he prophesied over me. Now, this prophecy is on YouTube because I've, I've uploaded it a while ago, right? So if you want to check it out, you can, you can Google or YouTube uh, Pastor Christian's Baptism. Christian Lee's Baptism or something. It's just Christian Lee's Baptism. I wasn't pastor back then. If you watch it, Brother Michael prophesies over me some incredible things. He says, Christian Lee, Brother Christian Lee, you will be a sought out man. The church of Jesus Christ will, will ask of you for service. And young people will be drawn to you. You will be a sought out man. You will be a sought out man. Spirit of the Lord says hallelujah. And at that time, young people like, you know, my classmates, they were definitely drawn to me. You know, I had influence with them. But, you know, I'm thinking a real small scale. I'm not thinking eventually, even though I'm not even ordained, some church is going to ask me to be the lead pastor. And then as I serve in that role, all of a sudden, I'm thinking it's temporary, and it just blows up, and all this fruit comes down, and all these young people are drawn to my leadership. I'm not thinking like that. I'm just thinking, you know, I'm going to graduate from NYU, and I guess young people are going to be drawn to me, and I guess the church might ask me to play the guitar or something like that, which they did later that year. (laughs) And then Brother Michael also said something very interesting, and it it hooked me because it was the one obsession I had at that time. He said, you will meet your wife on the missions field, the Spirit of the Lord says. Okay. So that day, God made some pretty big promises to me. He said, the church is going to ask me to serve. And two young people are going to be drawn to me, and I'm going to be a sought-out man. And three, I'm going to meet my wife on the missions field. That was the year 2000. I... Got married in 2008. I became the lead pastor in 2008. Now let me just tell you about those eight years. (coughs) Let me tell you something right now, man. I thought I would be married like... One or two years after I graduated from college. You know, God said it. He's going to do it. Lord, hasten the day. Hallelujah. And so you know what I did? At that time, I was a junior in college. I had been going on mission trips with Campus Crusade. I've gone on two already. So at the end of my junior year, I applied again for another mission trip. And I remember going to Kazakhstan. I've been to Kazakhstan five or six times. Every time I go on that trip, I'll be looking for my wife. <laughs> Strasvitsa, Olia. Olia. Lord, is Olia the one? Is Jenya the one? <laughs> Julia? And I'll tell you something right now, man. It was exciting every time I went on. And in fact, in fact, in fact, from that prophecy on, I went on mission trips every single summer. Actually, to this day, I've been on mission trips almost every single summer, except the exception of the one in which I got married. <laughs> Other than that year, I've been on mission trips every single summer. And whenever I got to Korea, every single winter, I've been just going on mission trips. Why? Because I'm like, Lord, you said it. I got to help you out. Let me go on some trips. Let me see where my wife is at. And then one day, my New Jersey pastor, Pastor Kevin, he said, he said, hey, Christian, you know, our church, we're proud to uh, support you because I was on staff at Campus Crusade, and I had to raise full-time support. I had to raise $2,500 a month. And so the church was helping me out. And he's like, yeah, we're... We're, you know, we're really proud to support you. And I was like, well, you know, I know that I'm not on the missions field. I'm not a missionary per se, you know. I'm just reaching out to college students. I hope that people are okay with that. And Pastor Kevin was like, no, 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 Christian. You are our missionary. And your missions field is Columbia University. So I stepped Kazakhstan to Columbia University. (laughs) Let me be real. I will not lie. So from that point on, man, every time I was meeting Columbia students, I know, I know. I didn't have covering back then. I didn't really have very, I didn't have very good strong covering back then. All right. And I'll just be, you know, meeting people and I'll be like, Lord, is she the one? Is she the one? Mission Spiel, you know what I mean? Man, I can tell you, I probably had about like like five journal entries about five different girls that I met on the missions field that I could have sworn she's my wife. And I'm like, Lord, I, I know this is the one. Thank you. I finally met her. I, I have like five different journal entries. I kid you not. <sighs> anyway, the Lord ended up fulfilling... The first part of that, because when I went into staff with Campus Crusade, when I started ministry at Columbia University, what was one thing that was really amazing was young people were drawn to me. I remember young men would line up, and they weren't even walking with the Lord. They were smoking weed, you know. Yeah, Columbia students—they some of them smoke weed—and uh, <laughs> and they come up to me and be like, uh, uh, "Christian Kansanim," that's what they call me. I want to be in your small group. Can, can I? Is there space for one more in your small group? Can I join your small group? Can I meet you? Can I, can, I, can I just have quiet time with you? Whatever, you know. People, like young people were drawn to me. It was amazing. So, so I remember, I was like, this is the word of the Lord being fulfilled. It was easy to believe that. I didn't really have to help, help out God with that, right? But the wife thing, man. I was like, Lord, you're taking too long. Let me help you out. She's real pretty. I met her on the missions field. Lord, make her the one. You know, I, I really started to think that way after a while. Because I believed the Lord, but I had these moments of foolishness where I try to negotiate with God. I shouldn't share this story, but I'm going to share it real quick. Should I share this, Lord? Okay, I'll share it real quick, okay? Oh, man. Should I share it, Lord? It's okay, right? Anyway, it's okay. This girl has moved on. She's gotten married. I'm married. It's okay. We can move on, right? Anyway, <clears throat> right before God called me out to Korea, 2005, ministry at Columbia University was fruitful. It was, it was booming. It was like probably the, one of the largest campus ministries on, on the campus. And God had turned out all around in two years You know, with, with my uh, service and under some of my leadership. It just really grew. And I was loving it there. And the students were really honoring me, and they were really loving on me. And, and it, was, it, was, it was a powerful thing. I didn't want to leave. But then the Lord started to speak through prophetic words, through dreams. The Lord said, you know, I'm calling you to Korea. I want you to come out to Korea. And Brother Michael said, he prophesied, Brother Christian, God is going to show you favor from people in high positions of authority, high positions of leadership. They're going to start showing you favor. That's the hand of the Lord. And so I noticed I was getting favor from... The founding director of KCC in America is Dr. Youngwon Kang that most people don't even know. He showed me all this favor. He used to support me like $500 a month out of nowhere just to like for me to help out with the website, which I didn't even do a good job with. But he was just like helping me all this, all this favor. And then the director of New York, uh, junggan Sanim showed me all this favor. And then I get a phone call saying that the president of CCC here in Korea, Dr. Min Park, that he wants to meet with me next time he visits New York. And so I remember I was driving him to the airport. And I don't even know him. And he's like, Christian, I've heard a lot of good things about your ministry at Columbia. And uh, I just want to give you a challenge. I want you to pray about it. All right. I want to invite you to come out to Korea for two years. To help out with the big global conference that we're hosting in Busan. I want you to fly out and I'll, and I'll take care of you. I'll provide everything you need. You just, I just want you to say yes. Will you come? I want to invite you. Come out, and I'll take care of you. And so I, I said, all right, Dr. Park. You know, we didn't have sonships. It was always like, I'll pray about it. Thank you for that. So I prayed about it, but the Lord confirmed it. So now the Lord is confirming things for me to move to Korea. And now you guys know why God brought me to Korea, right? It was more than just that conference. But I didn't know that back then. And at that time, I, I was interested in a Columbia student. <clears throat> not that many Columbia students here today, right? Anyway, I was interested in a Columbia student, and uh, she was kind of young. And uh, at that time, I was like 25, right? I was 25 years old. And staff are not allowed to date students. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> So I was very reluctant to, to do anything about it. And so all I did was like journal about it for like eight months. I prayed and journaled about it. And then she started showing up in my dreams. So I'm like, oh, Lord, this is the one, isn't it? I met her at Columbia, my missions field. She's got a great heart for the Lord. She must be the one. And, you know, we started texting each other. And She would text back and I'd text her. You know, anytime you text a girl good night, all right, that's mass shady right there. Tell you something from my own experience, brothers, you should not be texting no girl good night. You say good night to your roommates. You don't say good night to some girl over a text message. Because even if the girl thinks your butt ugly, she'll still text back good night, and that does not mean she likes you. She's just being nice. That's just the way girls are. Anyway. We started texting each other. And I was convinced that she was the one. I was convinced that she was the one. And the funny thing is, God started showing us clear signs that she wasn't the one. But I put those signs away. <laughs> so let me tell you a couple stories, right? So I started texting her, and I'm kind of charming, right? And so she started opening up her heart. <laughs> But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, right? What I did was wrong. What I did was wrong. No one in a position of authority, whether you're a doctor, teacher, or pastor, you should never, you should never, especially without any covering or advice, you should never pursue a girl that's in a position of subordination. What I did was completely wrong. So let me tell you what I did that was wrong. So... I started texting her and, and, and she started showing some mutual interest. So I prayed, for it, prayed about it for a long time. And then I asked her. I just asked her out on a date. I asked her out on a date and then I went to my New York director and asked for his blessing. That's completely wrong, right? Completely off. That's why we have dating protocol the way we do here at New Philly. Right? What did Abraham and Sarah do? They had the child and then brought the child to God and said, hey, why do not you bless him? That's good enough. So, you know, I asked her out already and I went to New York director. I was like, I need your blessing. And I know I'm not supposed to date any students. So, you know, you know, could you give me some advice? But then I did that after I gave him a one hour presentation about all my journal entries of why she's my wife. So my New York director is like, um, Christian, you seem fully convinced. There's nothing I can really say here. I was kind of like his attitude, you know? She was really worried for me. So I think he shared with some of the other staff. And some of the other female staff that were older than me, they were more direct. So later on, man, I, I got hammered by them. <laughs> anyway, so... <clears throat> so we go out on our first date. And I took her to this nice restaurant near Lincoln Center. It was an Italian restaurant. had had really good food. I'll just take you there sometime, huh? <laughs> I, I spent, I spent a lot of money, but you know, we had a good time. And afterwards, we took a walk through Central Park, and it was like magical because it was a time, it was a time of the year. There's this path in Central Park where the trees they make this huge. Um, arc and you can just walk through it and it's really romantic right and so we're just walking through and talking and then she's having a great time you know she's she's kind of reserved but you know she's having a good time we sat down at the bench and i gave her my one hour presentation why i think she's my wife that's how we have dating protocol all right anyway so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, man, she's like pulling away and she's just like really like the tone of the date changed completely from that point on. I mean, she's just, she's just petrified. She, she just thought she's saying yes to one date. Next thing you know, you know, she, it's like I'm confronting her, you know, when you marry me, or oh, pretty much. Right. And if you go against it, you're going against the word of God. That's kind of, that, that's kind of the message I gave her. I didn't know that I was always doing that. And I'm thinking, I didn't pick that up though. I kind of sensed it, I didn't pick it up. And I just thought she was nervous, so I was like, yeah, you know. <laughs> I really like you. And then I walked her back to the car. And I had given her a single rose. All right, this is something I've done with other dates, including Erin. <laughs> but anyway, that day, not only did I have a single rose, but I, I wanted to end the date with a bouquet of flowers. So not only did she have the single rose, but when I was dropping her off, I was like, let me, let me uh, take something out of the trunk. <laughs> you know what she said? She, she said, uh, thank you, but I can't take it in. All my roommates are going to see it. What are they going to think? You know, i well, am I just going to a complete lie about it? I can't take it in. Christian, I can't take it in. And I was like, oh, <laughs> but you do believe that you're my wife, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, the kind of foolishness I was walking in but the thing was what was driving me was I thought this is the will of God why? because God promised it and God was taking a while fulfilling it so I thought I would just negotiate a little bit of the terms and make it happen help God out with his, with the fulfillment of his promise well after that date I asked her out again she said yes <clears throat> I told you, man. I'm charming. I'm charming. Charming. I have more hair than too. <laughs> anyway, uh, so here's what happened. Let me tell you something. What happened? <clears throat> it was the day of Columbia graduation. And granted, she's like she's pretty young, right? She's like six years older, six years younger than me, or something. It's a really big age gap back then. Um. It was Columbia graduation, and we're supposed to go out on a date after the graduation ceremony, right? But we have to sneak out after, you know, hey, Columbia students, congratulations, pictures, snap, snap, snap. All right, peace out. I'm out. You know, I, didn't, I didn't go to my date, right? And so we were supposed to meet at the subway station at Washington Heights where the buses are that takes you to New Jersey. And we were supposed to go to New Jersey, pick up my car, and then go for a drive, around Englewood Cliffs. It's real, real romantic there. I should take you there too. <laughs> and and we we're just going we to pick up some sandwiches and we we're just going to chill at Englewood Cliffs. That was the plan. That was the plan. I go to Washington Heights. She doesn't show up. And I was like, oh, no, you did not stand me up. So I'm texting her. I'm calling her. I'm texting her. No answer. No answer. Korean Korean drama music starts to play in the background. And and I just waited. Like a Korean drama. I just stubbornly waited. I believed that she liked me back enough to show up. Even if something happened, she would show up. Two hours later, surely enough, she's running down the aisle. I'm running down the corridor. (laughs) Sorry, i Sorry, sorry. She's running down the bus corridor. She's gasping for air. And, I, and I'm just sitting there. And I was like, hey, what's, is everything okay? What happened? And she's like, you won't believe it. All right? After the graduation, I was at, at my dorm room trying to get ready. And I realized I dropped my phone at the graduation with all them thousands of people. So I went back to look for my phone and I couldn't find it and I was freaking out because I thought somebody might open the phone to find out whose phone it belongs to and see all of your text messages. You know, and then I would break the trust of all of my Columbia students. You know, cuz they, they they trusted me. They looked at me as this godly man. Right? And so she was freaking out. So she was for 2 hours she was searching for the phone and then finally one of her friends found it and gave it to her. And she was, like, looking in his eyes, like, did you look at the text messages? But he didn't. He didn't. So she got the phone, and she, she grabbed it, and we meet up. And I'm just like, forget all the last two hours. Let's just go and have a good time. So we take the bus across to New Jersey, pick up, we pick up my car, and we drive over to Englewood Cliffs. We get some sandwiches, and we're just going to go and talk, right? We drive it over to Englewood Cliffs. It's an area that nobody, especially Koreans, nobody knows about. Only, like, white people know about this spot, right? <laughs> I drive down there, the moment we drive down, my good friend, <laughs> I won't mention her name, my, my one of my good friends that Aaron knows is in the car driving along with another Columbia student. And so as we're driving, they're driving toward us, and I'm looking at them, and she's looking at them, and we're like... Oh. Like, we had this moment, we had this moment of wanting to believe that they didn't see us. But then, you know, the student, she started freaking out. She's like, no, no, they definitely saw us. We have to go and talk to them somehow. We have to tell them that, we have to tell them something, you know? And she's freaking out. I'm like, what, what are the chances that they're hanging out at the cliffs like this, you know? And so, anyway, I, I wasn't convinced that they saw us because they're both sanguine. And I was like, no, sanguins just simply don't look at the driver, like the face of people driving in the other car. They, that's just not a habit that they have, most sanguins. Anyway, we drive up next to their car, and they're like, oh, surprise. Like, oh, what are you guys doing here? Oh, Christian Guns standing. I was like, I knew it. They didn't see us. They didn't see us. Why did we go up to them? It was too late by then. And so we're, and they were like, we're like, hey, what are you guys doing here? And they were like, yeah, we're just hanging. Wait, what are you guys doing here? And I was like, uh, you know, um, uh, we're just grabbing sandwiches, you know, <laughs> just uh, chilling before missions training. You know? And that's what we were doing. We're going to go mission training later. <laughs> Matt Shady. <laughs> and, uh, and then they were like, you guys, um, okay, all right. Hey, um, and then she told one of the students to get into my car because uh, she needed to go to the missions training with us. It's so, like, oh, this works out perfectly. I don't have to drive by the uh, KC office. You, you guys can take her. Can she chop in your car? And we're like, yeah, she'll just hop in the car. So this freshman, Columbia student, she hops in the back of the car. First thing she says is, Are you guys on a date? <laughs> so we try to like play it off. We're like, ha yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> and then the freshman student was a sanguine, so she's like, oh, okay, alright, cool. <laughs> Look, man, that just shocked the both of us so much. We were like, you know, it was definitely God shouting a megaphone and saying, this is not it. Or you need to get some covering. But I did not heed the voice of the Lord. So we, we saw each other maybe a few more times during that summer. We were, we even saw each other on our missions trip. Like, she, she went to Thailand, I, I went to, um, oh shoot, Diddy's here. Where's Diddy? <laughs> oh snap. Do you know? You don't know anything, right? Oh, uh, you do know? I told you? Oh, okay, alright, good. <laughs> she goes on her mission trip, I go on my mission trip, we meet back in Korea, and then, you know, with like, there were like, how many students that year? There were like 120 students that came back from mission trips, and we were chilling in Jeju. And then, like, I, like, stuck her, a note under her, her, her pillow, and I was like, hey, meet me on the, on the rooftop at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> hey, we weren't doing nothing shady, all right? But we're, you know, we, we met and we talked and things like that. But let me tell you something. For the rest of that summer, we were on high alert because things like that, what happened at the cliffs, it kept happening. We kept bumping into people who knew us when we were on dates. It was such a clear sign onto us that God was saying, warning, red alert, slow down, get covering. And eventually, one of the female senior staff, two of them, they sat me down. They told me, hey, this is, this is wrong, Christian. You're out of order. Can't believe you did this. I'm disappointed in you. I mean, they, they, they went the whole nine yards, tore me up. And so then I have to make a decision. What am I going to do about this? I'm leaving for Korea in a few more weeks. And this relationship, I won't let it go. Because I'm convinced that this is the word of the Lord. And so I came before the Lord. And I did this prayer, the Gethsemane prayer. I said, Lord, I really like her. She likes me back but Lord, not my will, but yours be done. (laughs) And my sweat was like great drops of blood coming down. Your will, let this cup, let this cup, let me keep this cup. (laughs) Anyway, I prayed that prayer and then I decided to do the honorable thing, which was I will not pursue the relationship any longer and I will actually sever the relationship until she graduates which would be two years later, which will be when I'm finished with Korea and I'll be back in New York. (laughs) That's what happened August of 2005 when I arrived in Korea. My heart was waiting for this girl back in New York City. God was very gracious with me throughout this entire process. He didn't condemn it. He didn't say, you blew it. I'm not giving you a wife anymore. How can you date a student? You know, he he was very gracious to me. You know, and I did more foolish things within them two years. Like, but then one thing I didn't do was I didn't date any of the girls I met here in Korea. Which I think was God's grace. Because what happened was, when the two years were up, that's when I met Aaron. And my... Even when I met her, I wasn't interested in her because my heart was still waiting for this other girl. I was committed to wait till she graduates. And I was committed to go back to New York City. One day, I got a dream from the Lord. And in this dream, I was driving a car. And I left a building, which I knew was New York City. It represented New York City. I'm driving down the road. And then I decide to U-turn and go back to New York City. I U-turn, and I go back to the building, the same road that I thought I had just left. And as I I keep driving, instead of finding New York City, I find a huge cornfield. I'm at the top of a hill, a huge cornfield. And it was completely dry. Dead and dry. Dry as a bone. And I remember I started driving down that field, and then the car disappeared. And I was on a skateboard on my belly. <laughs> and I'm eating all this corn, corn scratching my face. Ah! Next thing I know, the skateboard's gone. And my belly's off, my clothes are all on my head. And then I reached the end at the bottom of the hill, at the bottom of the valley, and I just look around, and I just remember it being completely dry. And then I woke up. And I went to the president of CCC, and I told him the dream. And I said, what do you think? And he like, said, he's like, I think that's a dream from the Lord. And I'm like, I think this is the interpretation, Dr. Parr. You let me know what you think. I think this is God's way of saying, don't go back to New York. If you go back to New York, that is not the promised land for you. You will not be blessed. Everything will be dead and dry. Not that New York is dead and dry, but for me, that was kind of like like my Egypt. Like, I didn't want me to go down there. It wasn't my appointed time to go back. And so I told that to Dr. Park, and I thought he would be like, because he has the authority to send me back. It wasn't really my decision, actually. But when he heard that dream, he said, you know, Christian, I, I think this is from the Lord. I'm going to do everything I can so that you can stay in Korea. And I said, really? And it was around that time I had this conversation with Dr. Park that Pastor Aaron got our healing and deliverance session And after she got set free, I remember downstairs in the pastor's room, all the prayer team, we got around her and we laid hands on her. And the moment we laid hands on her, the fire of God came upon her body. And her face got all red like a tomato. (laughs) Like she was like red like a tomato. And I just remember like, what is going on? More, Lord. More fire. And I don't know. And John Michael was like, She got hit with the fire that day. And she was out at Friday fire every single week. One month later, she was a completely different person. And it was around that time I had that conversation with Dr. Park and I decided to stay in Korea. That's when I started falling in love with Erin. But what happened was, a few months before all of this took place, that girl that I was waiting for in New York, I kind of reached out to her just to, say, just to see, are you still interested? Are you waiting for me like I'm secretly waiting for you? You know? Or have you moved on? And I sent her just kind of this email just to reach out and just to be like, hey, where, where, where are you at? You, don't, you know, there's no obligation, nothing, you know? You know i've been waiting for you for all this time but you know there's no obligation all right let me know where you're at and i remember the the, the song that we we had this song from fly to the sky <laughs> called called missing you <laughs> that was like our song every time i hear that song i just be like i'm waiting for you girl i miss you Every night, every day I am missing you That was That was my first two years in Korea But anyway, when I sent her this email And I asked her, you know, what's going on She replied back With a very courteous, candid email She said, Christian I just need you to know I moved on When she sent that email, I thought I would be devastated. You know, I've been waiting for this girl all this time. I really like her. There's nothing wrong with you. You didn't do anything wrong to me. I thought I'd be devastated. But there was a grace of God that came. Because I'm telling you right now, every time I pray that prayer, Lord, your will be done, not mine, for a girl that I liked. And I was trying to help God fulfill his plans. Anytime I did that with a girl, I was heartbroken when God started to move and break up the relationship. But this time, I felt peace and joy. And I was like, hallelujah. My period of waiting is over. I guess I was wrong. What does God have for me next? And then the next girl that I had a crush on was this other girl. (laughs) There's only one girl in between, all right? Calm down. And... Anyway, she was cute. She was real cute, all right? Anyway, I thought I really liked her. I prayed for her for one month, and I was like about to make a move. I was about to make a move, and what happened was she, she called me one time, and we're talking on the phone, and we talked for like a good hour. But there was no chemistry. She's real cute. I like her and stuff, but there's no chemistry. You know, I've I, you know, be, been myself, and there's a little bit of black humor coming out. And she was, she just doesn't have, she wasn't having it. She didn't think it was funny. And then I hang up the phone, and then Erin called about the prayer team, cause she was interviewing to join the prayer team, cause we had an interview process back then. And I only called, I talked to her for ten minutes. And I was like, girl, girl, you crazy. What? Ah. Wow. All right, so I moved on from the New Yorker. I moved on from this other girl. After that phone call click, I was like, man, there's something about Aaron. Something about Aaron. And what, let me tell you something right now. Man, I, was, I didn't mean to stay on that example so long. It's because I, I feel a little embarrassed when I share that story. So I kind of want to share the whole thing so that... I'm sorry. I, that, I have so many better examples here. My, my car... I had negotiated uh, with God about my car And then I got into this nasty mess With the car loan I owed like like $20,000 Because I didn't read the terms correctly Because I kind of rushed God I was praying to God for a car And then God was providing one But then I tried to help him out And I went to a dealer And I did all this stuff And I ended up with a car But I had no way to pay it back It's crazy man don't, don't negotiate with God Look what I'm trying to say man Here's, here's the thing all Right? Let me close with this Oh, I got to mention this, though. This is real good. Pastor Benjamin mentioned this. When Jacob wrestles with God at the fort of the Jabbok, right, we often think that Jacob's done a virtuous thing. Right? And he is. He's, in, in some ways, he's very desperate because he thinks his brother Esau is going to kill him. Esau's got this clan now. They're going to kill him, right? Jacob's scared to death. But why is he so scared? Because he doesn't really believe the covenant still. The covenant that's not just for Jacob, it was for Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. He still didn't really believe it. So when he meets this angelic stranger, this pre-incarnate Christ, if you will, when he meets this mysterious guy at the fort of the r- river, he wrestles and he will not let him go. And what does he ask for? I will not let you go till you bless me. Here's what Pastor Benjamin said. Jacob was already blessed. The angels like, get off me, get off me. I won't, let, I won't let you go till you bless me. Angels, man, you already blessed. <laughs> ah, you blessed. Let me go. Let, 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 let. I'm stronger than you. Let me go. Oh, 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 you already blessed. Why was Jacob saying that? Because he was saying it from a place. Of unbelief. He still felt like he needed to negotiate with God to guarantee his safety. But God was saying, look, there's nothing that you can do to nullify my promise for you. I'm the one who made the covenant. I'm the one who made the promise. And I'm the one who's going to fulfill it. All you got to do is believe. When you are walking in covenant, you don't ever have to resort to bribery. Cheating, corruption. You're under covenant. The circumstances around you operate under different rules. Because the blessing of God governs it. When When you're under covenant, you don't have to make decisions out of fear. You don't have to fear for your life or for your safety. The covenant guarantees it. You are a man, if you're walking under covenant, you're walking under God's blessing and protection. When, when your boss says, look, you got to go with us to the brothel. Look, you got to go with us to the room salon. This is just the way it is in, in Korea. This is Korean business. This is the way it is. If you don't do this, we can't get this business deal. You say, no. I can't do what everyone else does because I'm not everyone else. I'm set apart. I'm a man under covenant. I, under, I operate under different rules. I'm going to have to refrain from that activity. Because that activity is, is an activity that people do who are outside of the covenant. I'm a man of the covenant. I'll still be blessed. I don't care if I don't get this business deal. I only have increase ahead for me. When, you're, when a TV producer says, hey, this is what you need to say before you go up. Alright, you need to say that you like this and you want to emphasize that. Alright, I don't care if it's not true of you. Alright, this is what you do. If the TV producer says that to you right before you go up, you say, No, I'm a man under covenant. I'm sorry, I can't do that. I don't need to be all, I don't need to do all these things. Even if I don't get it, even if I don't get on to K pop star or superstar K, alright, I'm still a man under covenant. I'm still gonna get the open doors. You're not the only one. That can open the door for me. God's the one who's going to open the doors. So if God says this ain't the door for me. I'm just going to go look for the other door. Because God's got it for me. I just got to believe. I can't negotiate my way out of this. I can't end up with an Ishmael. I can't for a moment afford. To come out of, a, uh, come out of faith. Or if you're like Isaac. And a famine hits the land. And the only place. Where you can get food is Egypt. And God says, look, a famine hit the land. I mean, you say to yourself, oh, a famine hit the land. Let me go down to Egypt so I can survive. And God says, no, you're a man of the covenant. It don't matter where you're at. I'm going to bless you. You stay here in this land. And the Bible says, Isaac sold in that year of famine. And he reaped a hundredfold. That's the covenant at work. So, you know, if a recession hits Korea, hey, hey, look, you guys, hey, hey, you know, I lost my job. You know, a recession hit Korea. It's, it's really tough. Everyone's moving down to Bundang. Everyone's moving down to Suwon. Not, not, not on anyone who lives in Suwon or Bundang. All right, God bless you. But everyone's like, oh, we, gotta, we can't afford rent in the city anymore. Everyone's got to move down. And that becomes kind of like your Egypt. You know, everyone, we're going to move down to Bundang. You say, no, I'm a man of the covenant. This recession doesn't govern my decisions. God's voice Governs my decisions. What I'm trying to say. New Philly is. God has made amazing promises. To you personally. Just like he made for me at my baptism. He has spoken prophetic words over you. About promise. About your future. About his perfect will for your life. About your marriage. And some of you women. You're getting anxious. Lord it's taking too long. Lord let me help you out. Look, Naomi's initiative was not you saying, let me help you out. Okay, Naomi's initiative was a revelation of the Lord. So by you submitting to that, man, you were blessed. That's covenant right there. That Naomi's initiative can't happen outside of covenant, by the way. You try doing it, it's not a good idea to apply to every church. I would not recommend it at any other church, all right? It's got to be a strong culture at the church. But man, some of you women, you might be thinking, man, God's made all these promises for my marriage, but it's taking too long. God, let me just help you out. Jen is real cute. (laughs) Jen is just on fire for the Lord. Lord, I like Jen. Why don't you bless Jen to be my husband? All right? That's just a foolishness. Not because Jen's not a great guy. It's because you're negotiating with God. You're doing what Jacob did pretty much all his life. You're doing what Abraham did when he ended up with Ishmael. It's not a matter of just believing God for the promise. It's about staying in that place of faith. You know, we're at a time where I'm, we're in a season of building. I'm trying to encourage all of you guys, step out for entrepreneurial ideas. Step out and start your businesses. And, and we feel a little bit stuck. We feel like we don't have the resources. And in the natural, it may look like it's never going to get off the ground. And you might start to meet somebody who has some shady ideas. And you're like, oh, well, you know, God promised it. Maybe he's just manifesting it through some of these shady connections. Let me tell you something right now. No, that's not the covenant. The covenant looks very particular. When God's doing it, it's easy. When God's doing it, there's an there's a element of grace. You don't have to labor for it. You don't have to strive for it. You just believe and receive. Hallelujah. You know, when Aaron and I, we started dating, we dated for two weeks. We went on three dates we Had a fabulous time, and we were just pretty much like, man, this is it. This is it. And God started giving me dreams where the color orange kept showing up. The color orange oftentimes represents warning. So one time, like, I was on a bus, on the back of the bus, and then Aaron walked in, and her shirt was all orange. And I was like, wait a minute, she doesn't have that shirt in real life. And she came up to me, and I felt like God was saying, warning, warning, warning. Slow down, warning. And then lo and behold, you know, we, I, I go and meet her um, uncle, who is her father's younger brother. And he pretty much said, I'm going to speak on behalf of Aaron's father after I meet you tonight. So we met, and then he was like, no to the relationship. And that completely just put everything on breaks. And so we had to break up. Two weeks we went out, two months we had, break, we had to break up. You know, during that time, how, how tempted I was to negotiate with God. God was clearly saying, wait, Christian, I, you are under covenant. I want to bless your marriage. I'm going to bless your wife and you're going to have an amazing future together, but you got to not rush it. Wait for my timing. But let me tell you something right now. Those two months were the most difficult months of my life. I was talking to this Campus Crusade senior leader. I was talking to that Campus Crusade senior leader. I was talking to this pastor. And I was like, yeah, this is what her parents said. What should I do? And some of them were like, hey, you just got to wait. You know, you know, it's just you know, you know, just got to honor her parents' wishes. Other people was like, man, forget them. You just need to get married. You're adults. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, be united to his wife. Y'all just need to go on with it. And I was like, hallelujah, amen. And over here, I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't like that advice. Uh, yeah, amen. Let me do this. And during those two months, man, I was, I was so close. I kept negotiating with God so close to aborting what God was doing during those two months. You see, what happened with during those two months was, it wasn't so much what God was doing in our relationship or even inside of me. It was what God was doing in Aaron. If you look at her journal entries from those two months we were broken up, those two months was when she received her clarity For her calling to the ministry. See, she was struggling. If I marry this uh, Campus Crusade staff, doesn't that just kind of automatically make me a minister? I'm a minister because I marry into it. And she didn't like that idea. She's like, Lord, I want to go into ministry if you've called me into ministry. But God, you haven't said anything about that. And during the two months we were broken up, that's when God started speaking to her. I'm calling you into the ministry. I'm going to use you powerfully. You're going to be prophetic. You're going to do all these amazing things. You're going to preach. And she, you know, God was speaking to her about that during that time. If I stepped in and I said, forget your parents, Aaron. We just need to do this. We're adults. Let's just go forward with it. I would have boarded all of that. And I might have actually set back God's purposes for Aaron by years. You guys hear what I'm saying? When you're under covenant, God fulfills the promises, his way, his timing. And what, am I, what I'm asking all of you to do today is don't negotiate. Don't tell God how to help him fulfill his promises. Wait for the Lord. May your soul wait for him. You don't have to ever negotiate with God. You don't ever have to twist God's arm to receive your inheritance, to receive the promised blessings, the, promise, the promises. You don't ever have to twist God's arms. What I'm saying is they're already yours. It's your inheritance. But the thing about inheritance is the dyna- dynamic of inheritance is you have to understand maturity and authority is key. If you're not at a certain level of maturity, there are certain things in, the, in your inheritance that you can't quite handle right now. If you don't know how to steward a certain level of authority, there's certain aspects of the blessing of your inheritance that you can't really receive right now. Whether it's your marriage or whether it's a ministry, whether it's a business idea, whatever it is. And so maturity is a key in receiving the fullness of your inheritance. And there are certain blessings that God will release in His timing as you grow into maturity. Just don't mistake his call to wait as a denial because the moment you believe that god is denying you the very thing it was his idea it was his promise when you start to believe that he's denying the very thing he promised that's when the devil can deceive you into doing things that are outside of covenant where you get set back where you end up with a car that you can't pay back God's made some amazing promises for our church. Uh, some of them you guys are aware of. Some of them we can't quite share publicly yet. But let me just say it to the core leaders. And for the core leaders, you guys need to listen up and understand. This is the season in which we are going to be tempted the most to negotiate with God. And these, uh, the board of trustees, you guys know what's going on too, right? This is, especially the board of trustees, you guys are in business. You guys are going to be so tempted to help God fulfill what he said he'll do. And what I'm saying, I'm warning all of you, learn from my mistakes. Do not negotiate with God. Let God fulfill it. It was his idea in the first place. He has his timing. Let's just wait upon the Lord. And he will open up doors that no one can shut. By next year, this time, we're going to be at a completely different place. What God's going to do through the end of this year and through the beginning of next year is going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. All the newcomers that are about to join membership, you guys are in for a crazy ride. But Let me tell you something right now. It's going to be good. It's going to be safe. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a picture of what it looks like to be in covenant. Jacob got a taste of that when he got all them goats and sheep. We get tastes of God's blessings, covenant blessings, and still we wander off. Now, you guys stay in covenant, wait upon the Lord. Let's pray. I know I was kind of cryptic at the end. I meant to be. But I'm telling you right now, I assure you the mature sons of the house, they're stewarding the prophecies that God's given us. I feel like right now, uh, God wants to assure some of you of the promises that he's made. He wants to assure you. Susie Park, you get on the keyboard. God wants to assure you, some of you today. Because you've been waiting so long, you're starting to get tempted to try to help God out. You've been waiting so long, you're so tempted to negotiate. You're so tempted to just take a Hagar and bring it before God and just say, bless her. And God wants to assure you today. Just like, you know, if you look in the Genesis account, God constantly comes to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says the same thing. I'm making my covenant with you and I will bless you. You will get this land of Canaan. It will be yours, north, south, east, west. All of it will be yours and you will be blessed. Sand on the seashore, stars in the sky. Through you, all the families on the earth will be blessed. He constantly reminds them over and over again. And today, God wants to assure some of you. He wants to remind you That you're a person who is walking under covenant. You don't have to try to make certain things happen. There are certain things where God wants us to take initiative. And then there are other things where he just wants us to believe and wait until Isaac is birthed.